Okay, we're studying about David. We're going to do one more study of David and calling it just David and God. And I think we'll go on to a couple other characters after David in the Bible who showed a great tendency to do things for God. And we'll show people who successfully lived for God, whoever they might be, as we pick them out and go along. So uh, we'll be thinking this sort of our topic that's evolved along. But we're going to continue with David tonight. We talked about his youth, this young man who had a capacity for God and was worshiping as just a teenager. And as a teenager, writing some of the best music that was ever written. And we still look at his music today. And that's kind of how we know about David more than other characters because we have his life story and then we turn around and we have his music. And his life story tells us what went on the outside, but the music tells us what came from the inside. So we talk about him first as a young man, the capacity for God. And last week we talked about David moving the Ark of the Covenant. You remember he decided to bring it to Jerusalem, so it would be in the center of attention. But he had a little problem, and they brought it, and uh, almost fell off a cart. The guy that caught it uh, died. God said, you don't do that. And so they learned how to do it better, and they brought it back, corrected their mistakes, and brought it back. And that's a good thing for someone to do who corrects their mistakes. Now we're going to go on to another part of David's life. A couple of incidences that happened. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now the first king of Israel was named Saul. He was chosen. God said, he's all right, we'll take him. He was a great big, huge, tall man. Said he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a big man, but kind of small inside, you might say. And uh, God gave him instructions. You follow my instructions, you'll be all right. He didn't. He kind of went and did his own thing. And so along came this big giant, a lot bigger than Saul, named Goliath. And uh, Saul, should have the biggest man around, should have went out and fought Goliath. But along came a shepherd boy, 17-year-old boy, and with a slingshot, he killed Goliath. And so David became famous in a matter of minutes when he killed the giant Goliath. And now uh, in chapter 18, and verse 28, we have a situation that gets set up here. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. If the Lord's with David and your daughter's in love with him, (laughs) why would he become an enemy? But he was filled with envy and jealousy. The princes of the Philistines went forth. It came to pass they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. So he's still 
a rather young man, and he has a reputation as just a man in his 20s for behaving himself more wisely than everybody else. That's an important thing. Here's, he's become the enemy of the king just for no other reason than jealousy. He's just plain jealous of David. He doesn't know, right, this King Saul doesn't know that David has already been anointed to be king. Samuel the prophet went to Jesse's house, we talked about it the first week, and uh, he anointed David to be king over Israel, but it was a secret, don't tell anybody. So only that family knew what happened. Nobody else knew. Saul doesn't know that David's been anointed to be king. But Saul decides, this is my enemy, this young man who behaves himself so wisely. And we want to talk about wisdom because really what comes into David's life is a tremendous amount of wisdom. It's an extraordinary uh, thing that happens to him. So I want to trace what happens, and you can't read it all because we'd be reading the whole book just about. But uh, 1 Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 24. Uh, Saul decides he's going to take 300 or uh, 3,000 men, a whole big army, and we're going to go find David and kill him. And so it doesn't matter what anybody thinks or what David's done. He's just going to kill him. And he sends a word out, I want to kill David. And so people around start to say, well, you better stick with the king. He's got the power, not David. David has gone out in the wilderness. He's living in a cave out there by himself first. And then people start to gather to him. And it says people that were in trouble somewhere, people that owed money, just people who were uh, not in favor anywhere, they begin to join David. And he became a real-life Robin Hood. He's gathering out in the wilderness, living in a cave, and a whole group of men gather to him. And they believe that he's the right kind of guy. We're going to serve him. And so he's an outlaw, becomes an outlaw, not, not that he did anything. He didn't do anything. Just uh, Saul was jealous of him. And so people begin to turn David in. And here we go. This is the first incident that comes as Saul takes an army, goes out, tries to find David out in the wilderness. First uh, Samuel 24, verse 1. Came to pass when Saul's returned from following the Philistines, it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. Now, David had a knack for hiding in real wild places. So he takes a whole army, 3,000 men, after David. And he came to the sheep coats by the way. And there 
was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. That means he's going to lay down and take a nap. All right? And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thy hand, that thou mayest do to him as shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Paul's robe uh, secretly. And so <clears throat> he's out trying to kill David. And David's hiding in a cave with a group of men. And Saul comes right in that cave goes just inside a door and lays down to sleep on the ground. And the boys that are with him say, look, <laughs> what do you want? He's sleeping in your cave. This is God delivering him into your hand. And so he goes up, doesn't kill him, takes his sword and cuts a little bit of the hem of his robe off. Verse 5, it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed. Stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words. Suffer them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went his way. And so... There he is sleeping right in front of him. He just cuts off a little bit of his robe and his men say, come on, this is your opportunity. God brought him there so you could kill him. He said, no, 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 I will never touch the Lord's anointed. That's a very interesting thing. There's a point of wisdom. Uh, don't harm the Lord's anointed. Somebody that God has chosen, which Saul was, he was chosen by God, says, we're not going to kill him. Yeah, but he's a bad apple. He's not a good guy. He's trying to kill you. I'm not going to kill him. He was set there by God, and I am not going to be the one that kills him, and neither are the rest of you. Now, these men that got to be with David became one of the most famous fighting forces in the history of the world. They had 400 of them that turned out to be said, great men of valor. And the Bible tells they killed a leopard in the snow and they killed with a stick, killed a whole army. I mean, these guys were incredible. They were amazing, fierce, tough hombres. And so uh, they said this, Kill Saul. No. And I want to think about uh, the self-control. If you're going to talk about wisdom, here is self-control that David has. Restraint. It's a restraint within him that the normal feelings that we'd have, why is he trying to kill me? What's he trying to do? Why does he keep doing this? I didn't do anything to him. All those normal feelings would be strike back, take revenge. David said, no, I am not going to do that. Now, when Saul walks away out of the cave, David hollers to him after he gets out, hey, what? I got a little piece of your robe here I cut off while you were sleeping. Why are you trying to kill me? 
What are you doing? Stop. I didn't do anything to deserve what you're bringing a whole army of 3,000 people after me. So I spared your life this time, a little piece of your rope, so you'll know it. So uh, let's not do this anymore. And Saul, as was kind of typical of Saul, he goes, oh, I'm so bad. I was a horrible guy. I should never have done it. You were right, and I was wrong. He said, okay, good. He said he was wrong, right? Doesn't make any difference. See, some people say, oh, you're right, and I was wrong. They go do it again. That's exactly what Saul did. He's not done chasing David. He's going to chase David until he's dead, not by David's hand. So we go over to 1 Samuel 26. And here's just a little while after he said, you and I should have no problems, says Saul. Ah, you're right and I'm wrong. And then he's going to do just what he did all over again. Verse 26, chapter 26, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel, verse 1. The Ziphites came to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hachilah, which is before Jesimon? And Saul arose, went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. He's got a whole army, same group, 3,000, off he goes. Saul pitched in the hill of Jelilah, which is before Jesimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose, came to the place where Saul had pitched. David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ur, the captain of his host. And Saul lay in the trench... He's in a ditch, and the people pitched around about him. They're laying down for the night. Then answered David to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai, son of Zeruiah, uh, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. Now, Abishai was famous for running. Very swift-footed, easy easy walker, one of those people born to run, and he had that ability of being light-footed. He said, I'll go with you, we'll go down in the camp. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench. His spear stuck into the ground at his bolster, but Abner people and the people lay round about him. And so Abner is the captain of his army. He's a tough hombre. Uh, Saul is sleeping and he's got his spear stuck next to his pillow. Shoved into the ground next to his pillow. And so David comes sneaking in. Verse 8. And then it said Abishai to David, God has delivered thine enemy into thy hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with a spear even to the earth at once. I will not smite him the second time. Abishai being swift Fast, he said, look, this is God. He's sleeping right there in front of us with a spear by his pillow. I just go like this, and we're gone. It's over. I don't even have to do it twice. 
Let me do this. It's God as we're able to walk right into the camp and Abner is sleeping over there. Uh, nobody's awake. And uh, so uh, it, it'll be done. I'll do it. It'll be over with. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die. He shall descend into battle and perish. He said, some other way he's going to die. Not going to die by our hand because he's the Lord's anointed. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take now the spear that is in his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. Now watch this. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster. They got them away. No man saw it nor knew it nor neither wakened for they were all, all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Well, David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off, a great space being between them. So now, the first time he cut a piece off his rope, this time pulls a spear, was right next to his pillow, and he takes his water bottle. Come on, let's go. And he gets up on the hill. And he hollers back, hey, Abner, wake up. You're supposed to be protecting the king. What are you doing? And of course, these guys were sound asleep because God put them to sleep. God said, I'm going to protect these guys. They're, they're treading on dangerous ground, but I'm going to protect them because they are wise. And they have this self-control. They're not going to kill this man no matter what he does. He hollers down. Abner wakes up. So what kind of a guy are you? I got the spear right from his pillow. And here's his water bottle. How are you protecting the king? You're supposed to be protecting the Lord's anointed. And so once again, over to verse 22 David answered, said, Behold the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and fetch it. The Lord rendered to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by in my eyes, so let my life be set by in the eyes of the Lord. Let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt do great things and also still prevail. So there he is. You're right and I'm wrong. Give me a chance and I'll kill you again. Saul is he's just not a very good man. But, but uh, he said, here's your spear. Here's, come on, come on. What are you doing? All right, now, over at uh, 1 Samuel 31. We get the end of Saul. And just like David said... 1 Samuel 31, the Philistines fought against Israel. The men of Israel fled before the Philistines, fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. Philistines followed hard on Saul, on his sons, and they slew Jonathan, Abinadab, and Mechishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. 
And said Saul to his armor bearer, Draw thy sword, thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not. He was sore afraid. So Saul took a sword and fell on it. So he took his own sword, took it right in the belly, and died there, died himself. And so all the self-control of David is a very powerful thing, and it shows his wisdom. And I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to talk about wisdom for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The particular wisdom of David in this case is self-control. He's really got a hold of himself. And the wisdom that we're trying to find out. We want to be wise like this. And one of the most important ways that we display wisdom is the way we treat other people. The way we treat other people. And can we control ourselves? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28. The base things of this world, things which are despised, has God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. All right? He says, God takes regular, simple, ordinary people like you and me. Base things, he calls us. <laughs> you don't want to be called base. Well, we're all base. We're just plain, ordinary people. And he's doesn't, he's, God's not out there looking for big shots. God's not looking for big shots. Look for ordinary people. Here's why, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom. There you go. We need wisdom. Well, how do we get it? He said, Jesus Christ, we take him into our life. We get Jesus in our life, and we do everything in our power that we can keep him central in our lives. And when we do that, he says, I give you then wisdom. He becomes, as we take him in, we become wise. He becomes in us, and his ex- the expression of Christ in us, coming out of us, towards other people, becomes wisdom. Right? And so, he says, if you want this wisdom, you take God in. Take God in, and you'll be wise. It'll show, wisdom will come out. Now, I want to take a look at... Uh, David's thoughts when it comes to all the things that happened to him. Psalm number 54. One of the things Psalm number 54. One of the things that's such a good thing is we have these Psalms and they're marked as to how they came to be. So he says, Jesus comes into us 
And when he does, we express ourselves wisely towards the way we treat others. And that's his self-control. All right, now, Psalm 54, up at the first introduction to the chief magician on the Gynoth masculine, that's instruction, Psalm of David, when the Ziphims came and said to Saul, does not David hide himself with us? So here's these guys that turned him in, told Saul he's hiding here, and David gets the message, they turned you in. He's coming with an army of 3,000. Let's read it through, Psalm 54. Save me, O God, by thy name. Judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not said God before them. So he's asked for help. He's got 3,000 people coming after him, a whole army. He asks for help. Behold, God is my helper. Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies and cut them off in truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. He has delivered me out of all trouble. Mine eye has seen his desire on mine enemies. So what's David's response to his 3,000 man army coming First of all, God help me. And then, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. All right. And he cut the skirt off of Saul's robe. And he restrains himself. Now just go over to Psalm 57. What does it say? To the chief musician... When, day, when he fled from Saul in the cave. When he's inside the cave and Saul's sleeping here, what does he say? Verse 5. Be thou exalted, O Lord, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above thee. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me. Into the midst thereof they are fallen themselves. They're trying to get me. And they're trying to make a trap for me. And they fell right into the trap they made. He's sleeping right in front of me in the cave. Verse 7, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Wake up, my glory. Wake, psaltery and harp. I myself will wake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing to me, thee among the naked. Can you imagine being in that cave and having this experience? Saul comes and cuts his, his robe off, piece of his robe off. He goes away. And then what does David do after that? Ah, I gotta play my harp. Gets his harp out, starts playing music, starts to sing. He's singing. Wake up, harp. Come on, let's make music. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm gonna sing. Uh, I want God to be exalted. He says, I don't want I don't want David to take credit. I want God to be exalted. So there's really nobody quite like David. When it comes to that restraint. And we read in Galatians. Book of Galatians gives us a list 
of what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith. And the last one, temperance or self-control. Self-control. And so that a person who is guided by God, whose life is in God's control, has self-control. They don't lose their temper. They don't get nasty and bad tempered. They control what they say. <laughs> That's what James, the book of James says. The man that can control his tongue can control his whole body. If you can shut your mouth when, it's, when you think you ought to say something, you can shut your mouth and not say it. All right? That kind of restraint is God working in us, controlling us, and helping us. And so David is just full of God. That's what happens to him. He's just full of God. He's got God running through him. He's worshiping in the cave where Saul's army is outside trying to kill him. And he's got so many opportunities. Abishai says, one shot. I just go like this and like that. It's done. I won't even have to do it twice. It'll be over. No. The restraint, that restraint, that is very good. Now, let's go see how far that restraint can go. We're now in 2 Samuel. Saul died the end of 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel 15. 2 Samuel 15. Once again, David's going to be in a pretty bad situation. David has a weakness. We'll mark it over here because you got to mention it. His weakness is raising family. He's very poor at raising family. Why? Too many wives. Probably the main reason. Too many wives. Got too many wives. It's just a bad idea. One's plenty. You don't need more than one. Right? Too many wives. All right? And so raising the family, who does it? Who can say? Everybody. Got, it's a mess. So he's got family by this lady and family by that lady. Well, one of his sons is named Amnon, and he sees his half-sister, and uh, her name is Tamar. She's a beautiful young lady. So he calls her over to the house for dinner, and he rapes her. And then he says, I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. Go home. Well, she's got a brother named Absalom. And he says, you're going to do that to my sister. What are you going to do, King David? Dad, uh, do nothing. He didn't do anything. So Absalom says, I'll throw a party and get everybody over here. When Amnon comes, I'll kill him myself. And he did. He killed his half-brother Amnon because he raped his sister. All right? So he runs away. 
to escape. After a couple years, he goes to Joab, the leader of the army, he says, I want to come home. You know, I need to come home again. And Joab says, ah, I can't hear you. So he sends him another message. I got to meet with you. I got to come home. Uh, pay no attention. So Absalom set his wheat field on fire. <laughs> got his attention. <laughs> that guy said, what are you doing? I said, I asked you twice, three times, I set your wheat field on fire. I love that. I think that's great. You got his attention now. Okay? And uh, so he allows him to come back. Now, 2 Samuel 15. Came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses, 50 men to run before him. Absalom rose up early in the morning, stood beside the way of gate, and it was so when any man had a controversy, came to the king for judgment, that Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? He said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, moreover, Oh, that I were made a judge in the land, that every man which has any suit or cause might come to me, I would do him justice. So it was that when any man came nigh to him to do obeisance or to bow down, he put forth his hand, took him, and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And what he said wasn't true. But he would get people before they got close enough to get to David, say, oh, nobody's going to listen to you if I was in charge. And then he'd go up and kiss their hand and tell them. And by the way, Absalom was probably one of the best looking men in the history of the world. Okay, ladies? He was gorgeous. Drop down, dead, beautiful. <laughs> Absalom. All right? Long black hair. He he sprinkled gold dust in his hair. Wow. All right. I mean, he was something. And so he's very very charming. He wins over the hearts of the people, and and then uh, he's got a whole group of men riding horses and chariots with him everywhere he goes. So he looks like he's always got an entourage. All right. They think, eh, maybe this guy's going to be king. Verse 12 of uh, 2 Samuel 15. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from a city, even from Gilo, where he offered sacrifice. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people uh, increased continually with Absalom. Now, Absalom is the first troublemaker who joins along. And then he gets Ahithophel, this guy named Ahithophel, who is a counselor to David. And now it's become a conspiracy. There, and he says to Ahithophel, uh, what should we do? Well, this guy's a very dangerous conspirator. Verse, chapter 16, verse 20. Ahithophel said to Absalom, 
Go unto thy father's concubines when she's left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred by thy father, and shall the hands of all them that are with thee be strong. See, what happened is Absalom going to take over Jerusalem, and David hears he's coming with an army. We got to run. And so he leaves behind some of his concubines, some of his women. And so Absalom will go in to those women. Verse 22, so they spread Absalom a tent on the top of the house, and Adam, Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And so they're saying, wow, he's taking over. He's taking his father's wives, and his father's going to hate him for what he did. Verse 23, and the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and Absalom. In other words, he's so smart. It's just like talking to God. Ahithophel really has a gift for seeing things as they are. And he tells Absalom, here's what we're going to do. David runs from Jerusalem, takes faithful people with him, and they run out of town. So Ahithophel says, here's what you got to do. Tonight. He just left this morning. Tonight. Get an army and go now. I want you to get the army and go now. And you'll find him somewhere out in the wilderness. Kill your father, David. That's all. You don't have that, any battle. You just kill David, and everybody will say Absalom is king. So it's very simple, but you got to go now. Well, they're confused. Well, they're not organized. Now, David hears that Ahithophel joined Absalom. Man, that's trouble. He's way too sharp for us to outmaneuver. So he sends a fellow named Hushai. He says, you go tell them you're on their side too. But whatever Ahithophel says, you say the opposite. We got to make sure he doesn't follow Ahithophel's advice. So Hushai goes in and Absalom says, go tonight, hurry up, get the army, and go get David tonight. Uh, Hushai said, no, no, no. Don't go now. Are you kidding? You go now. David and those mighty men of his. Why? He's got those men that killed leopards in the snow. and there. You can't go now. Because they're mad now. Oh, they're hot to trot. You go now and they'll kill you by the thousands. Wait a couple days. Let's get our forces together. Then we'll go. And then we'll go. So Absalom says, let's see, go tonight, wait a couple days, get a big army and go. Yeah, I think I'll wait a couple days. And so David outsmarted him with that. Second Samuel 17, verse 23. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass, arose, got him to his house, to his city, put his household in order, hanged himself, and died, was buried in the sepulcher of his father. He said, if they don't go tonight, it's all over. I'm going to go home. Let's see, here's my bank accounts and your name, whatever he's got to do. And he hung himself. 
and died. Now this guy, Ahithophel, you read about him in the Psalms. We don't have enough time to go there and read it. But you read about him in the Psalms. Him and Ahithophel and David used to walk to church together. The two of them used to say, hey, when we see you in church, yeah, I'll be meeting you. Here we go. They walked together to church. And so these two were very close. And he turned traitor. He turned traitor. So his own son has turned traitor. And his best counselor has turned traitor against him. All right? And, of course, because... Absalom waited, 2 Samuel 18, because he waited and followed the wrong advice. Uh, chapter 18 of 2 Samuel, David numbered the people that were with him, set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. In other words, he got a lot of people. He can divide them up into hundreds and thousands. He set forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, third part under the hand of Abishai, that's the guy with the spear, Joab's brother, and a third part on the hand of Atatai the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I will surely go forth with you myself. People answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us, neither if half of us die, they care, will they care for us. But now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Therefore it is better that thou succor us out of the city. Or in other words, you stay out of this battle. Don't want you going. They only want you. So we'll get together. So they got themselves organized. And uh, verse 5, <coughs> chapter 18. King commanded Joab, Abishai, and Atatai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. There he goes. Self-restraint. Absalom is a traitor. Ahithophel hung himself. There's nothing you can do about him. Absalom is bringing an army. He's leading an army against you to kill you. And David said, I don't want him hurt. Nobody hurts him. Keep him safe. Bring him back alive. I want you to deal very carefully with Absalom. Right, now, chapter uh, 18, verse 14 Somebody found Absalom hanging in a tree by his hair. All that big, thick, beautiful black hair, he rode under an oak tree, and it got caught in a branch. And the donkey underneath him took off, and now he's swinging up there, stuck in the oak tree. And they run back, and they tell Joab, we found him. He's over there in the tree. We didn't hurt him, because we know what the king said. Verse 14, then said Joab, I may not tarry with thee. And he took three darts in his hand, thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak tree. And ten young men that bear Joab's armor compassed about, smote Absalom and slew him. Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing after Israel. Joab held back the people. So uh, he killed Absalom. Found him hanging in a tree. He kills him. And his little group that go with him, uh, they 
got rid of Absalom, killed him, put an end to him. Here's what David does, verse 33, verse 32. The king said unto Cushai, is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, the enemies of my lord, the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. Or in other words, any enemy of yours we wish were dead, he's dead. And the king was much moved, went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. As he went, he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And he weeps and mourns over Absalom. All right, the self-control comes back. Uh, he refuses. He doesn't want Absalom hurt. He's had his boy turn traitor, his best counselor turn traitor. Say, man, he had a mess. He had a real mess. And now he's weeping for Absalom. He's weeping for Absalom. Well, we got to think a little about this and see if we can get to the bottom. Verse, or Psalm 63. Psalm 63. If you notice the intro, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. When he was in that particular wilderness is when Absalom was pursuing him, coming after him. So, your best counselor turned on you. Your son has turned on you. They're coming to get you. They come with blood in their eye. We're going to do away with David. We just need to get rid of David. They're coming just for you. Familiar feeling, right? Saul had come for him over and over again. Now it's his own son coming after him. You say, what's in your mind, David? Here's what's in his mind when he's out there in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Huh. Verse 6. I will remember thee on my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings, I will rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go to the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the foxes. He's worshiping God. He said, oh. I ever need you now, I need you tonight. I can't sleep tonight, so I'm going to uh, think about you, God, all night long. And you think you'd be thinking about God when your son's coming to kill you? Yeah. Yeah, that's the extraordinary control over his emotions that David had. He knows, no matter what happens, how bad can it get? Get pretty bad. Your own son is coming after you. And what does he do? He's worshiping God. 
when he's 17 years old, he was worshiping God out there in the middle of the sheepfold. And now his son's coming after him to kill him. And he's, oh, God, I need you tonight. I'm going to think about you all night long. What a wonderful guy David is. That's why God says he's a man after his own heart. He controls himself and focuses on God. Right? So, see, that David's really something, isn't he? Yes, he is. He becomes the name that Jesus uses right? when they're marching into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Hosanna to who? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. To the son of David. So he takes the name of David and calls himself the son of David. So this guy, you think, man, he's really got it together. Now, what if we missed something? <laughs> Let's stop for a minute. We got... Saul up here, David sparing his life, and we got Absalom and Ahithophel there. What if something happened in between there? Well, something did happen in between there. This time it wasn't an army, it wasn't anything like that. It was a woman named Bathsheba. David, one night out on top of his, his uh, house, and he looks across and there's a lady taking a bath named Bathsheba. And she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. So he says, go get her. Bring her over here. And so he lays with her, the Bible says, has sex with her that night. And she gets pregnant. And so, David, you're not, wait a minute. You're not doing so good here. So, her husband is a guy named Uriah the Hittite. Of the 40 men of David's army that were the most uh, brave, uh, strong, like Abishai and Joab, that group, he's one of those guys. He's at the top 40 of David's catalog of mighty men. And he sends, he said, tell Uriah to hit that. He can come home for a little vacation. What he wants is Uriah to come home and sleep with his wife, and then he'll cover up his sin. Uriah comes home, and he said, my brothers are out there fighting. I'm not going in the house. He sleeps outside. I can't turn on my brothers in the battlefield and be here on vacation. I won't do it. David should have been thinking that way. But he didn't. So Uriah goes back to the battle. And uh, Bathsheba said, he never came in the house. So he sends, David sends a message to Joab. Joab's the one that would later kill Absalom. And he says, when you're in the battle, leave him on the front line. Back off. 
So he's by himself. And so that's what Joab, because Joab's not a good guy. And uh, Uriah the Hittite uh, all of a sudden goes in with the others. They fall, fall back and leave him alone. And he gets killed in battle. And so now he's dead. So we got rid of him. I said, David, what are you doing? What are you doing? So two years. She has the baby. The baby dies. Two years later comes Nathan the prophet. So where's his self-control now? Where did that go? Is what happened to him with Absalom and Ahithophel a result of his own traitorous behavior to Uriah? Didn't he do exactly the same thing to Uriah? Turn on him? Lie to him? So maybe God said, you know what? I'll turn your son against you and you'll get what you deserve. What happened to his self-control? Look, some people have self-control and like with David, a woman can crush it. It's gone. It's very much a possibility that self-control Maybe in certain parts of our life and in other parts of our life we don't have any. So, is Absalom's rebellion and Ahithophel's traitor, traitorous ways, are they punishment from God for his own treatment of Uriah, that good man who refused to go into his own house, went back and fought in a battle and was killed because they pulled away from him. Well, that's a good question. Is there an answer to it? Yeah, there is. Psalm 51. And what happens, if you look at Psalm 51, again, we go on this first phrase here, to the chief musician of Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So, two years later, Nathan comes in. And Nathan was a great prophet. He doesn't get enough praise. He's got courage. I tell you, he got courage. He goes into David and he said, David, I, got, I heard what, something happened. I got to tell you. This guy had one sheep, just one sheep. And these rich guys came and they took that sheep away. It's all he had was one sheep. He took that sheep away and he's got nothing now. And David said, I want the man that did that. I want the man that did that. And Nathan said, it was you. You did it. Uriah had his wife, and that was all he had in the world. And you took her. You did it. Wow. That's courage. That is courage. That is power to do the will of God. And that guy really. And so Nathan came in, and he said, you did it. You're the sneaking, lying cheater that did it. You did it. And so David... 
writes Psalm 51 after Nathan leaves. Picks up his harp. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in this sight. Man, he pours out his heart. He said, I really messed up. I was wrong. I sinned against you, God, and I'm so sorry. In verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It was the Holy Spirit in David that made him write the songs, that made him have self-control. The power of God in his life was controlling him. He fell into sin with a woman. And now he's repenting, and he repents in one of the most famous of the psalms when it comes to what we call uh, repenting psalms. And he says, I really made a mess. Please don't leave me. Please stay with me. So that means, was Absalom and Ahithophel punishment? No way. No way. David totally repented, begged God not to leave him. And God, when we repent, the promise is you're forgiven. He's completely forgiven for what he did with Bathsheba. Is Absalom a punishment of that? No. Absalom, just another part of a story of David's life where he's got to get hold of himself and focus on God, and he manages in the midst of personal deception of Absalom and Ahithophel, he manages to focus on God, say, I'm thirsty for God. I need God tonight. Wow. So David's life is a picture of a man who really had it together he made a mistake, but he poured out his heart in repentance. And God says, it's good. It's gone. I wash away your sin. You are cleansed. You are free. And so uh, not that he never did anything wrong, but he really had his act together. He really did. Not many in the Bible do we have the record of what they were thinking like we do of David, right? And so what happens in the middle? He falls, his weakness is a woman. Raising a family was a weakness. And a woman was a weakness. And the sin, God forgives. So when we want to get the Spirit of God in our hearts, where we start to feel wisdom coming from God through us out to other people. All right, the wisdom of God comes through us, goes out to other people in the form of self-restraint and self-control, the way we treat other people. All right, then that's how we want God to work in us. David had a little blip along the way where he showed no self-control, 
but God forgave him. And so this is not a punishment. This is men who were sinners and were against the Lord's anointed. Remember what David said? Don't ever go against the Lord's anointed. Boy, they did. And they both ended up dead. Can't go against someone that God has chosen. Next week we'll go on with a new character and God and see what happens. Thank you.